Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and freshly back from handing out L's to all comers at his Moot Core competition last week is my longtime co-host, Curtis. So, Curtis, man, I'm in the floor, dude. You've earned it. You've earned this. So, you want to brag on yourself a little bit here? Um, Yeah, it was just nice. You know, we come back from Miami where we had a, a tax tax law moot court competition and we came back with a victory. So that was a nice feeling. It was all tax law? Yeah, it was all tax law. Tax law? Explain to me how this works. Okay, so moot court competition for listeners like me. I'm not a listener, but I'm not exactly sure how the moot court competition works. So how exactly does that play out? Um, It ends up as you and a partner arguing from a certain side, depending on which side you draw and you're arguing in front of a judge on a specific case. I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here. I know the last time I talked to you over the weekend, you guys were undefeated, right? Yeah, we went five and zero. Oh. I was the uh, person that argued, no matter which side we went on. So that it was nice to get so it done if you're with. That person, that's that's a good thing, right? Yeah, yeah, we'll say it's a lot. That's of like stress, position. Hey. That's like that's like the point guard, the quarterback, right? More or less, yeah. That's cool, man. That's cool. Big time props to you. Very cool stuff. But despite how awesome that is, that's we know all you guys listening out there, that's not what you guys came here to listen to us talk about today. We know you want your Georgia football fix. You're addicted and you need that fix, and that's okay. And that's exactly what we've got for you here today. This is like the one thing. It's okay to be addicted to this. So today we've got you covered, and we're going to recap week one of Georgia football's 2022 spring practice. Sir Kurt, my man, let's, uh, let's just jump in, dude. Let's not waste any more time here. We've got a lot to talk about today. We are recording this Wednesday evening, and practice kicked off last Tuesday. So we are now officially, officially one week and four practices into spring drills. And the way we're going to approach these spring practice recaps this year, we've done this different ways in years past. And this is what our eight spring practice we've covered on the podcast. I want to say, man, like we're getting we're getting close to a decade. It's crazy, crazy to think it's been that long. But this year we do a little bit differently. And we're going to give you the things we learned from the various reports and rumblings coming out of campus. They're just going like position to position. We're just going to say, okay, hey, here's the news. Here's what we learned from spring practice this week. And honestly, like a little caveat here, it's spring practice. There's not as much coverage as there is if it was a, a, like a, a spring or a, a fall camp or like in-season practice. 
And like the reporters, they actually got beat writers actually got like 20 minutes to watch practice yesterday on Tuesday, which is the first time in, in quite a while. Really, we're not watching practice all of last season, with like one or two like minor exceptions. So maybe we've got a little bit more. Hopefully, we'll get more and more news coming out of camp here as we as we go through things. But Kurt, let's go ahead and get to this man. And I this is not really any specific order. But I will say this first item is the one bit of information that really kind of caught my eyes, maybe more than anything else. So we'll start here, Curtis. We've we knew that Arik Gilbert is back with the team. Like we already knew that. We knew he's going through offseason workouts with the program. That's not news to us. What I think is maybe at least a little bit of news, maybe not altogether surprising, but I still think pretty newsy is the fact that he has been getting reps, reportedly been getting reps at tight end. Now, this is a guy that he himself, when he was recruited here last year, almost a year ago, and he officially committed and was interviewed, all that kind of thing, he was very open in saying that he was being recruited as a wide receiver. That's what he wanted to play. George gave him that opportunity, and that's one of the reasons that we ultimately were able to land his, his commitment when he left LSU. But here he is, Curtis, getting reps at tight end. Now, maybe a part of that, is all the injuries with Darnell Washington, Brock Bowers, both out for spring. So maybe that's a big part of it, but maybe there's more to it. So Kurt, when you're looking at Gilbert getting reps at tight end this spring, do you think that's more out of necessity or is that like a long-term strategic move that we can expect to carry over into the 2022 season? Realistically, realistically, <clears throat> I think I could see both. Um, you know, he missed out almost all last year didn't take reps, didn't do a lot of it, except for when he first got to the University of Georgia and was practicing. So I think, first off, we have to look at it in the fact of this is the position he has known uh, most of his career. And so as we try to work him back in, so it's hard to imagine that someone who missed that much time and it wasn't for injury, that you want to just throw him to a completely different position and potentially overwhelm him. Uh, it, from what we're hearing, he's seeing reps now, it seems like, both at receiver and tight end. And I think the fact that he's even receiving reps at tight end is what's shocking us. But I, like I mentioned, I think it's more of that's what he's known and that trying to still, you know, not overwhelm him and get him back into the swings of things. While also at the same time, it is a necessity. Um, right now we have Oscar Delp and Ryland Godey, if that's how you say it's it. Um, those are the only two. And Seether, those are the only three we have in there. And realistically, the only contributor out of that group that I would be shocked is, or that unless crazy things happen, Oscar Delp's the only one that's honestly going to see meaningful minutes. And it's just the fact of, I think, necessity bringing uh, Gilbert back into the swing of things. But at the same time, like there could be times where you go two tight ends with receivers out there, and your two tight ends are someone like Rick Gilbert and Brock Bowers. Like that, talk about a, a matchup nightmare. 100%. And I think you you hit this nail on the head. I, I think part of it too, I think, because this guy, again, he was very adamant during his re-recruitment going to the transfer portal that he wanted to play wide receiver. He was very open about that. And I think a big part of that was he saw like in the NFL, that's where the money is, right? Like an elite level tight end can get paid, but not like receivers. And typically the tight ends, you asked to block. He didn't really want to do that. He kind of saw himself as a receiver. But then... 2021 happened and Brock Bowers happened, right? And he's like, oh, wait, Georgia uses their tight ends more than they use their receivers? Oh, let me get in on that action. Hey, guys, don't forget I'm a tight end too. Don't, don't you think a little bit of that is going on here as well? 
I think it is. I mean, you look at the fact that Brock Bowers went for almost 1,000 yards. He's probably the closest we've had someone coming to 1,000 yards in a long time, and it was from a tight end. Yeah, I mean, Brock Bowers, I mean, as a true freshman, put up the single greatest tight end season in Georgia history, at least from a statistical standpoint. And if you look at our reception numbers in general, I mean, we've said before, Brock Bowers led by a landslide. So the second leading receiver on the team last year was Ladd McConkey. all right? 31 receptions to Brock Bowers, 56. 25 reception difference. Yards, not even the same ballpark. He literally essentially doubled up the next closest receiver. Brock Bowers, 882 yards receiving. Ladd McConkey, 447. Touchdowns, Brock Bowers, 13. Ladd McConkey, 5. And Ladd, in every category, receptions, yards, and touchdowns, Ladd was our second leading receiver behind Brock Bowers. So if you are Arik Gilbert and you're like, Oh, oh yeah. Well, see, I, I I said I wanted to move to receiver because I wanted to get more touches and I want to get in better, a better position for the league. But then I watched what Georgia's offense is under under Todd Monkin, and clearly the tight ends are the number one target. And maybe it's just as Brock Bowers is that dude. Maybe there's a lot of that. But you know what? Gilbert also thinks, hey, I'm that dude too. So let me get it on that action. I think that's a part of it too. I think he had because he had to soften his stance on this. He was so adamant. So, I mean, and maybe just being a team player after missing last year, maybe he feels like, hey, I just got to come into what the coaches asked me to do. Maybe that's part of it too. But also I think a big part of it is like, hey, they did that with Bowers. I'm that kind of guy too. What can you do with both of us? As you mentioned, Curtis, and you're right. Just like Bowers, Bowers split out at times, essentially playing receiver at times. And we can do that with Gilbert too. We don't have to pigeonhole these guys. That's the thing. It's like it's like basketball. You know, we're in the middle of March Madness, Curtis. You've heard this phrase, like positionless basketball, right? Yeah. Where there's there's no like true positions anymore. We just have like you play five out sometimes, like who's the center, who's the power four? Like, don't even, you don't even use those terms anymore. Who's the four? Who's the five? You don't use those terms because you have so much versatility and guys are big, tall, but they can also handle the ball, they can shoot the ball from distance. And Brock Bowers and Eric Gilbert, they're like the positionless players in football. Like they can play receiver, they can play tight end. Hell, we saw Brock Bowers, I mean, carry the football as a running back, and that's what he did in high school, too. So I think. Gilbert seeing that and saying, I am the same kind of guy. I can be used in the same vein with all the love, all the attention Brock Bowers got, who's going to be a future first round pick. Maybe he's going to say, well, maybe I can be that first round pick at tight end that I wasn't sure I could be at LSU. So I think there's part of that there, but I think he'll also be playing a lot of receiver just like Bowers will. And you can throw in Darnell Washington. It is truly an embarrassment of riches at tight end. So last thing here before we move on, Curtis, are you good with Arik Gilbert getting reps at tight end? You know what? I am because, I mean, first off, you kind of hit it. He was so adamant that he wanted to be a receiver. I don't think they're making, you know, even putting him in at tight end to get reps unless it, he kind of gave his blessing. The fact of, like, the last thing they want to do is start a whole nother they lied to me type situation. Yeah. So I don't think they put him out there in a position he couldn't. And then realistically, yes. And I don't. the reason I say that is, as kind of what George Pickens said, I see a lot of good coming out of Donnie Mitchell in the future. So I think that he could be that outside threat. Yeah. I, I think AD Mitchell is, that's one of the things I was saying in the primary episodes, when we talk about offense, was like, I think AD Mitchell is about to become that guy. Like he showed flashes of that last year. Obviously the, 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 catch, the touchdown catch, take the lead in the national championship game. He showed flashes of that. I think he's ready to do that on a consistent basis. I think he'll become a stud for us. Um, but it, with, with Gilbert, you know, real quickly here, my only concern is that we already ha- have Brock Bowers there, right? We already have Darnell Washington there. So if you leave him at tight end, like this, do you risk him kind of getting lost in the shuffle right now? You know what I mean? Potentially, it's like, you know, but we like, don't like, even you know. have an embarrassment of riches there. 
Potentially, but realistically, we don't know if Darnell will be back. Because it's basically with Darnell, it's the same foot injury. Now, I don't want to say it's the same severity, level of severity that he suffered last year, but the injury he's dealing with is the same foot injury that he dealt with last year, which is not a good sign with a guy that's that big. You know what I mean? You worry about that. You worry yeah. about feet, man. It's tough. You know, the pounding you take in a guy that big and you're running like that, that's very concerning. And the, and the fact remains, as we said last year, Curtis, Darnell Washington is awesome. He's a very viable player for us. But he's not the same kind of guy that Brock Bowers is, right? Yeah, no, not at all. He's just not that guy. I think Gilbert is more Brock Bowers. As Darnell is a guy that he doesn't want to be that guy that's as big as he is and, and blocks as well as he does. But that's really what he's best at. Whereas Gilbert can do those things like Brock Bowers to a degree, but clearly him catching the football, making plays in the passing game, that's really his specialty. That's what he's best at. But I think... I'll say this, and then we'll move on. I think the more things you can do to help your team, the better off you are and the better off your team is. And spring practice is all about like giving guys looks, getting them familiar with, with potential options, and, and seeing where they might be able to help you the most. And I think him getting reps at tight end right now, number one, yeah, it's a necessity right now with, with just the depth issues. But I do think that's going to pay dividends because we can do a lot of different things from what our personnel groupings and you can be very difficult to handle offensively, very tough to game plan for if you have potentially three guys out there that you can line up uh, in line or out wide. Like we did that. We had, we, we went a lot of 13 personnel towards the end of last year. I was screaming for it, and we came out in the, in the Orange Bowl and just bludgeoned Michigan with it, just destroyed them with that. And But you replace a guy like John Fitzpatrick, who was great, love Fitzpatrick, wish him the absolute best, but you replace him with a guy of Arik Gilbert's caliber? All of a sudden, man, that's scary. That's very scary. So I'm totally good with it. 100% good with it. As long as he's good with it, I'm good with it. All right, next up here, Curtis. Now, this one, I don't know how good you're going to be with this one. We did the whole offensive side of the ball, spring practice, preview the primer. About two weeks ago, Curtis, you and I went through the entire offense, position by position, all the position battles. And we talked about the offensive line. One player we didn't mention, but we mentioned the fact that we were kind of excited that, I mean, God bless him for all the good things he did for us but not like truly disappointed that he was not going to be back. But we spoke too soon, Curtis, because Warren Erickson is indeed back for a COVID year. He's a super senior this year. He's coming back. I had not heard that, and that's on me. I'll take the blame for that. As a guy who runs his pockets, I should have heard that. I just I hadn't really asked. I just assumed maybe it was wishful thinking, but I was wrong, Curtis. He's back. So how does that change things on the offensive line front this spring, your outlook for the offensive line? I mean, for the spring, I expect him to kind of be in there, um, especially with Tate Ratledge and people being like that or, you know, kind of like uh, Tate being out. But the fact mm -hmm. is, outside of spring, he should not hold down that position. I'm sorry, Stacey Searles. You're hired to put the best on the field, and especially when we have some stuff, uh, you know, the issues with Amarius Mims trying to keep him on board and things like that. And if he can't beat out the guys to tackle, you need to put him at guard. I mean, we saw how much national championship changed when Warren Erickson was rightfully finally benched. Um, and so that's and how, how much needs that was to stay. injury. I mean, maybe they can blame it on injury, but that's how the whole year had looked. Maybe they gave yep. him the out due to injury. Yep. But the, I mean, to anyone who, ha who had common sense, you could watch the, the whole year and know that that's about what you expected out of Warren Erickson. Yeah, man, I, I'm this is a tough one because you and I were both. I mean, he's, I think he's a good, he's a damn good dog. He's worked his butt off, yeah. that. but it doesn't change the fact that he's just not as good as everyone else. He's just not as big and strong and physical. Like I've said, like we said this many times, 
He as center, I love Erickson. As a center, that's what this guy is built to do. He is a center. I don't even like him as a center now. I mean, you see what Van Pran can do, and you're well, like, that's what I'm saying. Like Van Pran is is the the problem for Erickson is this. Like he is a, a he has a center body. That's what he is. But the problem is Van Pran is just better, right? I mean, so it's like, well, what do you do? With this guy, he's waited his turn. He, like you say, he's been a damn good dog. He's been a DGD. Worked hard. You love that. And I hate to criticize him, but like I think it's you and I have been fair in this criticism. He's just not built to be a guard. He's not big enough. He doesn't get enough movement. And if he's back, I have concerns. Him coming back as a super senior, Curtis, kind of like with Stetson Bennett. You have concerns about Stetson Bennett kind of just be given the job. Do we not have the same concerns with Warren Erickson? Why is he going to come back for a super senior season unless there's some sort of assurance that hey man, like you're at least at the very least going to get the first look there. And someone's going to have to beat you out. That's concerning for me. Like, I, I mean, honestly. I think we're better off with guys who are better fits at guard. Oh, like I'm very, I'm very concerned because I'm very concerned because just flat out, as much as I disliked or as hard as I was on Justin Schaefer, it will be a whole new dislike of Warren Erickson if that's what we're stuck with and have to sit, you know, watch throughout this year. Well, I won't dislike him. I, I'll root for him. Well, I, I just, will. I mean, I'll option. root. I guess I'm just talking about being as it, people think it's just a pure hatred or dislikement. No, it's the fact of you just can't sit there and ignore the facts of he is yeah. not as good as everyone else. Yeah, and, and that's just my concern. I, I, if he's the guy, if we roll with him, even if I disagree with it, obviously I know you too, Curse. We're we're gonna root like crazy for the guy, but him coming back is just runs the risk of us once again playing a guy who I don't think is as good as the younger guys behind him just based on experience. And it's like, well, yeah, that's important. Well, it'll be another like, one of those situations that like all the, he'll do all these things. He'll get blown up on plays and people will be like, Oh, what the heck? And we're like, what? Like, did you expect something different? I mean, at this point, Curtis, at this age, at this point in his career, he is who he is. Like there's not that much stronger. He's going to get in one off season. He's not going to get that much bigger. He's not going to put on that much weight. He's not going to get that much quicker or faster. If you're like a freshman, you go to like your senior year. Yeah. There can be some development, but when you're going from like your, what should have been your last season to your super senior season, like how much, how much like physical development is there going to be? And that's my concern with him. It's very, not a very rarely, thing. if any, very yeah, rarely. I mean, the fact is he is who he is. He can't, he's, he's not strong enough. He's not quick enough to get that push. That's not going to yeah. change. Don't matter if it doesn't matter if Sam Pittman was still the coach. He is who he is. It's a concern for me because you I mean, we don't know what kind of health Tate Raj is gonna come back in once he's fully cleared. Hopefully he's back to 100 percent But as I've said before, even even if it wasn't Tate Ratledge, I'll I'll sit here and stand by the fact that I think uh Xavier Truss and Amarius Mims could be better at guards than what we get out of Warren Erickson. From a from a Fit standpoint, size standpoint, potential movement standpoint, not even a question. They might not be as technically sound and as experienced and know all the calls as well right now. I think that's fair. But at some points, like you can know all the calls, you can have all the experience in the world, but if you just get physically blown up as often as he does, does it even matter at that point? And that's my That's my concern. So, hey, man, like I said, if he's out there, I'm going to root for him like crazy. I wish him the best. I really want him to be a guy that succeeds and and proves me wrong. I really, really want that. I just – I don't know, man. I haven't, like, seen it consistently. So I I definitely have concerns there. I wasn't thrilled when I saw that. I was not thrilled, to be honest. But let's stick with the offensive line here for one more point, Curtis. So that's the first unit. Second unit, though, and I know people don't pay as much attention to the second unit, but I think in this case maybe you should. 
I don't know if you caught this curse, but true freshman Ernest Green from California, way out west, is already one week in repping with the twos at left tackle. How surprising is that to you? I don't think it's very surprising. I mean, maybe the fact that Mims isn't there, but I think maybe they're trying to give Mims a shot at right tackle to potentially overtake McClendon. I don't know. Um, but I, as a, one of the younger guys outside of Mims, McClendon, and um, Roger Jones, I think it makes sense as him the first bet. I mean, he's one of the higher-ranked guys. You don't bring guys like that like in to just not compete, and I don't know if we've signed anyone else at tackle um, athletic as he is. Yeah, I think if you just look at the tackle position, clearly Broderick Jones would be left tackle, and you got War McClendon, and then you got Marius Mims. Those are like the t- t- true tackles that are returning from the last year's team. So I, I think really the fact is we have a lot of interior players, whether it's Micah Morris, Willick, McKinney, Ratledge, Van Pran, Erickson, like all these guys we have, Webb, all these dudes we have, they're they're really more interior guys. We don't have like a ton of tackles, to be honest with you. So maybe it's certainly partly that, but still as a true freshman in his as an early enrollee true freshman in spring practice, been on campus for less than three months. I think that's good news, right? Chris, isn't that pretty inspiring for you for what this guy can be moving forward? Oh, yeah, I'm very inspired by that. And the, the, I don't want to say it's unfortunate for him because technically Broderick's going to be going in his third year. Broderick could leave after this year. But, I mean, Broderick, if Broderick has the kind of year that we hope he has, Broderick will be gone. And I think that'd be good for him. That'd be good for us if he's that good. But it's really nice to have a guy, Ernest Green, who, I mean, at least the early signs are all pointing in the right direction to be kind of that heir apparent potentially at left tackle if it's not a Marius Mims himself. We'll see how that plays out. Mims, is it interesting to you that Mims continues to get looks at right tackle and not so much left tackle? Uh, no, I think Jones kind of has left tackle. Um, it kind of shows me that as good as McClendon or as consistent as he's been, he hasn't always exactly separated himself where you're thinking Jones finally started to make that separation. So you don't think it's a thing about like Mims not necessarily being able to play that position? You think it's more just Broderick's just the guy there? I think, I th- in my opinion, yes. I tend to agree with you because what I saw from him, again, it's high school, we'll see. But like in high school, I saw far enough. I saw plenty of athleticism for me to think, yeah, this guy can play left tackle for us long term. I think he can do. I think Broderick is a little bit more athletic. If you guys, if you were familiar with Broderick coming out of high school, watching this guy play, he wasn't early in rolling because he wanted to play the final year of his high school basketball season. And he was like a very good high school basketball player, very athletic out there. So I think he's the best fit left tackle. And you're right, Curtis. Like, that's the guy we want there. And we're going to maybe open up the competition a little bit more at right tackle. I think McClendon will probably hold him off this year. And that concerns me to a degree. And, and hey, McClendon has been very good for us. I'm not trying to dog him at all. But like, if that happens and Mims doesn't really start again anywhere this year, and if we have Erickson in at guard, he doesn't play inside, then like, does he stay on the team? Will he be with us next year? And a guy that's that talented, that does concern me. And the transfer portal, that's one of the things you got to live with. Guys come in, guys leave. But you hate to see a guy that talented potentially leave. And I'm not saying he's going to, but I've heard rumblings. I, I know that he was considering after this year, and we, we got him back in the fold and kept him here for now, which is great. But I certainly hope that we continue to keep him here in the Classic City. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. 
That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, Curtis, we talked a lot about offense so far let's go to the defensive side of the ball for these last couple points here and i'm going to start with the inside linebackers you know i love me some inside linebackers and let's start with jamon aka pop dumas johnson early word is curtis now we talked about this last week there's not a ton of guys repping there some of the guys that we were hoping would be available to practice they like smile mondon not available right now but he's getting a lot of reps at inside linebacker, and the word coming out of camp, at least the early part of spring practice, is that he is very much looking the part. So, Curtis, at this point, you haven't had a chance to talk about what you think about Pop. What is your outlook for Pop going into 2022? Um, Realistically, I think he's the the, the next great linebacker, inside linebacker under Glenn Schumann. Uh, you saw signs of it when he came in. You know, he had the pick six. He even had uh, some nice plays against Georgia Tech when he's in there at the game. And I know they're not big-time games and things like that. Still but he is flat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he's shown the flashes of, I think this guy's going to be someone you're going to have to watch. And the interesting thing uh, – like, in, like, in my opinion, it comes down to him and who is behind him. Yeah, I think, I, I think we're very much going to have a rotation at inside. Like last year we had a three-man rotation. We might go back to like – remember like 2017 when everybody was healthy before the injuries hit? We had a basically a four-man rotation there. I think you might see us go back to something like that this year. I would not be surprised. We'll see how it plays. I mean, guys have to earn it, but I think we have enough talent and we, that those guys will earn some playing time, and we don't have the established stars right now. At least early in the season, I can, I can see like a four-man rotation there. But at this point, I do expect Pop to be a starter. I mean, he's a guy that was – was one of the first guys off the bench when we had, you know, when we got the, the garbage time opportunities, he was out there. Him and Smile Mondin were behind our top three guys. So he got, I mean, a little bit of experience there. And he is one of the few guys coming back from last year that are actually fully healthy to practice right now. You know, so I think he's going to be that one of those guys that's going to lead, lead us as a starter inside linebacker to open the season. And here's another interesting thing. I don't know if everybody knows this. He did. He's one of those guys that played at a school – that did not have his senior season because of COVID. They didn't play. He did not play his senior year. So he was rusty coming in, and he was a little bit overweight, had to kind of work himself back into shape and, and just back into, like, playing football. And he did that last year. And, and so thinking about that context and him being able to position himself like he did last year, now he did take advantage of some injuries to guys like Trezman Marshall and, and Ryan Davis, which certainly helped things. But I think that did help his development. And the fact that he's healthy this spring is going to help his development. And I love what I'm hearing from his teammates. I love the small sample size of what we saw from him last season. And I love what I saw from him out of high school. I thought he was an underrated guy coming out of high school. So I'm all aboard the Pop Dumas Johnson train. I think this guy is going to be a stud for us. He's one of the guys I'm very excited to see play at G-Day and see the kind of strides that he has made and see how we look at inside linebacker in general. I expect him to be one of the leaders out there.
Another guy, Curtis, that I'm interested in, another guy like, like, like Pop, didn't get a ton of playing time last year. He was a young guy last year, played some garbage time here and there, and that's Marlon Dean. Now, Curtis, if you remember Marlon Dean from IMG Academy, we recruited this guy as a defensive tackle, as a defensive lineman. But at least through the first week of spring practice, and maybe this is just one of those experimentation things you do during spring drills, I don't know. But at least for the first week, he has been working with the outside linebackers at 6'5", 275. So what do you make of Dean working at outside linebacker as opposed to defensive tackle? Or are you aware of the defensive um, I'm all for it. I think the biggest thing is he, even though he's 275, I believe, the fact yeah. is he's a thin 275. Um, he's very thin overall. And he, I still think he's got. He would be great uh, standing and stopping the run, and and still doing what we need to do pass rush. I mean, I was very impressed with what he brought to the table when he got garbage time. Um, he, you just saw him the speed and the power coming off the edge. And you know, you know somebody else who was six five two seventy five Curtis on the last year's team. Um, I don't know Trayvon Walker. All right. Now, I know Trayvon Walker is a defensive lineman for us. Technically, by definition, he played the five technique, but we used him as a pass rusher plenty of times last year. Whether we line him up inside over a guard in our diet package, whether we use him off the edge as a pass rusher, we use him in, in a variety of ways as he's that kind of athlete. And no, don't get me wrong. Make sure you're hearing me straight here. Marlon Dean is not Trayvon Walker. He is not. But 6'5, 275, you can play outside linebacker in that position if you move one. Well. You're right, Curtis. He didn't play a ton last year. When I watched him play, I think it was against UAB. It was maybe the first time we saw him out there in some garbage time. He looked very thin. I'm like, wait, this guy used to play defensive line at IMG. What's going on here? And I thought he moved very, very well. Like, in fact, when I, when I first saw him, I was like, who is that? I was like, Marlon Dean. Like, what? What's going on here? So he was playing that last year when he got opportunities to get in the game. Not a lot. Didn't give any opportunities, but he was doing that. And I thought maybe last year is just because, you know, we had the lack of depth at outside linebacker. Maybe he's a guy that could play out there if pushing to duty. But it seems like there's a long-term plan potentially for him to play outside linebacker. So I'm very intrigued by this. I do think he has enough athleticism and pass rush ability to do that as long as he doesn't get too heavy, as long as he keeps his weight under control. I'm just very curious. He's a guy like, like, like Pop. I'm very curious to see him play at G-Day because, like, we know we have a Nolan Smith. We know we have a Robert Beal. We know that. And like we saw Chaz Chambliss a lot last year, but there's a, I would say, is it fair to say that maybe a, a cap on Chaz's ceiling, Curtis? Is that fair? I think that is. I don't know if he has like that super high ceiling, but Marlon Dean, I don't know. I don't know. I'm very curious. I haven't seen enough for him to really have too much of an educated opinion there. So that's like, those are the kind of guys I like to watch during spring practice, the guys that I just haven't seen a lot of. And like, I want to form a more educated opinion. So on G day, I'll be watching guys like him and pop very closely. I want to see them get some like significant minutes. And uh, I, I think he'll, I think he's a guy that can play that spot. I was a little bit surprised to hear that he was working like almost exclusively with outside linebackers right now. But if you think about it, maybe not so much because we just we're thin. That's a position where we're thin. And if he can do it, then let's give him a shot there. All right, Kurt, last one to bring up here. Last thing that I've got on my list of things we learned. If you want to throw something out there, Curtis, by all means, man, throw it out there. But uh, I've got Kamari Laster here. Now, we talked about uh, – actually, I don't, you weren't on that episode, Curtis, but we, we, when we previewed the secondary, we said obviously we know that Keely Ringo, Mr. Pick 6 himself, is going to be starting at one of the cornerback spots. We know that, right? The much more interesting question is who's going to be starting opposite him where DK was last year. 
And you, you know, you roll off, you think about Kamari Laster, you think about Javon Bull, you think about Nyland Green. Those are the three guys that I felt like were going to be in strongest contention for that job. I felt it was going to be Kamari Laster based off his development towards the end of last year. But how surprised are you that it's Kamari Lasseter right now working with the ones at cornerback? Um, I'm not very surprised. I mean, it felt like last year in his garbage time, he was the one that was actually kind of popping the most um, in the cornerback position. Um, and if someone had to come in real quick to try to get a few snaps or something, it was usually him. I'm very interested. Like, Nyland Green is the guy everyone's looking at last year. He was an early enrollee coming to spring practice last year. And we thought he might, with the lack of depth, that he might be a guy that would work himself into the into that range is like maybe a backup and get some playing time. And he didn't really, that didn't really happen for him last year. That doesn't mean you're going to give up on him. Some guys just take a little longer to develop than others. Quay Walker took a little bit longer to develop than Channing Tindall, but Quay Walker was a starter before Channing Tindall was, right? So there's nothing wrong with that necessarily. Some guys are just different points coming out of high school. But I think Kamari Lasseter is a guy that has the tools, man. He's a very fluid athlete. He's got good length. He'll come up and hit you. He showed some ability to do that and willingness to do that. And look, it's far from a done deal. We have a bunch of highly talented true freshmen coming in this this uh, this summer. You're going to be competing during the summer and going into fall camp. So he certainly has not locked anything down. We're talking about the first week of spring practice. But I do think it's something to at least talk about here that he's the guy throughout the first week is getting the first looks with the ones. Will he hold, hold everybody off? I don't know. But I'm not surprised. I'm with you. I'm not surprised here. I think you started to see him work himself into that role last year. First, it was Javon Buller playing some in the slot at the star position, but last year really started to come on and develop as the season wore on. And so I'm not surprised that he is working with the ones right now, but uh, yet again, another guy, small sample size to work off of from last year. So another guy I'll be watching very closely when we get a chance to see these guys in person inside the friendly confines of Sanford stadium here in a couple of weeks. But yeah, just some interesting news there. All right, Curtis, before we get out of here, I know you got to get out of here in a couple minutes. I want to talk some basketball real quickly here. I had my say on the hire of Mike White last week, so I'm going to keep my mouth shut here for a few minutes. I'm going to give you the floor. What is your take on the hire of Mike White? Yeah, I wasn't able to really get in last week or before that. Um, As Tyler mentioned, I was trying to get focused on this moot court, get ready for that. But overall, I think I'm I'm happy with the hire. you know, some people are underwhelmed, but first off, I said one of the biggest things I was looking for was someone that had been a head coach before, and that's really why I was never on the Jonas Hayes train, um, is someone that was about to get fired from Xavier, as we saw the head coach has already been let go. So how can we justify the guy who's never been a head coach and then coming in about to get fired? So I was never on the train with him. And then Scott Drew and some of these other people I think were pipe dreams, but realistically, I think Mike White was, Mike White was a great hire. In the fact of he brings something that realistically we haven't had, kind of going back to it's probably been since Mark Fox, and that was stability. But even Mark Fox's stability wasn't like a stability, it was just a stability of being competitive, you know, close enough to make the tournament, but always missing out. But I think differently that Mike White can bring stability of where it's a more stable of where we're getting into the tournament. I think he's going to get us into there. And and then if he moves on or something, I, I think. The thing that I think about Mike White is I think he's going to leave this program in better shape whenever he leaves than when he got here. And I think that someone he is someone that can do that and put us in a better position that maybe next time we're looking for a coach, it could be someone who's a top-tier coach. But right now, we are just not attractive enough. It, it's the harsh truth, but the fact is no coach of top-tier talent or top 
who we consider top tier coach was coming to the University of Georgia because we are just not attractive at the moment. We have to make ourselves an attractive destination. And I think Mike White can help do that. And as we're seeing, Mike White already has now retained or not retained, but brought over one of his assistant coaches from Florida who was integral in um, securing the commitment of that five-star recruit from Montverde Academy and who apparently has great ties in the state of Florida. And the Florida fans were like, I don't care if Mike White leaves as long as we keep this guy. Well, Mike White was able to bring him over to Georgia. And so I think not only is he a good coach, but it seems like he's already on the path of putting together a strong staff with him, behind him, that can help him create those inroads back into the state of Georgia and recruiting, where it's a hotbed. There's a lot of talent in Metro Atlanta, and I think he can, you know, bring them back home. And the the, the assistant coach you're talking about is Eric Pastrana. And you're exactly right, yeah. Linda, five-star guy that was coming. Actually, I think he's decommitted from Florida as of like he, he yesterday. He literally now. yesterday after it, this move becomes – no, yeah, today, and he also, so by the way, let me throw a name at you guys, probably familiar with if you watch college basketball, Cade Cunningham at Oklahoma State. So Pastrana was at Oklahoma State before Mike White hired him at Florida, and he was instrumental in putting together the number four recruiting class at Oklahoma freaking State that, oh yeah, by the way, included Cade Cunningham, the number one pick in the NBA draft. So this guy is an ace recruiter. That's what you guys wanted, right? You wanted Jonas Hayes because he knew Atlanta, right? He knew Atlanta, he knew all the coaches, and he would just destroy it recruiting Atlanta. Well, Eric Pastrana has recruited at, I mean, just to be real, at a higher level, not at better schools, uh, at better basketball programs, certainly, but it's recruited at a higher level than Jonas Ace. I mean, let's, let's, let's just call it what it is, Curtis. That's, that, those are just facts. And I love Jonas, Georgia guy. I love him, but those are facts. Uh, last thing here, Curtis, or I guess two more things. Last thing on Mike White, though. So what do you have to say? Because a lot of Georgia fans, what I've heard from a lot of people is that are we seriously excited about the guy that Florida fans were pumped was leaving their program, that they were happy we took him from him? How would you respond to that? I think Florida fans, as we all know, are just not that smart. The fact is, yeah, Billy when did Donovan Florida fans had... become the authority on coaching hires? When did that happen? Well, and here, here's the thing. I mean, last year, Dan Mullen was all of a sudden the greatest coach. He had passed Kirby Smart. Oh. Not even one year later, the dude is out on his butt. Um, they were screaming and then Mike... at people who would dare suggest Kirby Smart was a better coach than Dan Mullen. And look what happened. Exactly. And then look what happens. And then when it comes to Florida and basketball, Billy Donovan has made these just unreal expectations where Florida has never been what the what fans think they are. They've never been that as a program, except for when Billy Donovan came here, went there and took them to the championship. Five tournaments in like 75 years prior to Billy Donovan, Curtis. That's what it is. And exactly. They were out there just like us. Yeah, they think there's someone they're not. And the fact is they can't get over the fact is that Billy Donovan's gone and so is, I mean, realistically, I think Mike White's a great coach, but I don't think he's Billy Donovan level and he's going to lead us to those types of levels. But the fact is that's what Florida fans believe in. I mean, even it, – it's just unreal expectations, and I think he was a victim of that. And You're going to see it in college football when King Saban and when all these you know, legends leave, it, it's the unreal expectations on the guy that follows. And unfortunately, Mike White was the one that followed a legend, and he would put up great numbers and just was never enough for them. I think that was exactly what I said last week in the show, Curtis. It's exactly what I said. Like he is, it's a classic case of you don't want to be the guy who follows the legend. You want to be the guy, you want to be the guy who follows the guy who follows the legend because four straight tournaments, an elite eight run. But you know what? He was never going to be Billy Donovan. He was never going to be Billy Donovan. Not many guys are, and Florida fans held that against him. So yeah, I'm with you, man. I'm happy about this hire. Uh, I know a lot of fans aren't. That's okay. And maybe we'll be proven wrong. Certainly possible. But I'm excited about the hire. I think it's. It's gonna I think he's. Really I think well he's step up. Step up over Tom Cream. Step over. Step up over Tom Cream. 
with experience. And as you said, Curtis, you have to be realistic about what kind of coach we are able to attract. If the University of Georgia basketball program can hire a coach who made four straight NCAA tournaments and went to an Elite Eight very recently, you hire him 100 times out of 100, right? Yeah. 100 times out of 100. I don't care. 100 times out of 100. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, Chris, last thing before we do get out of here, I did wake up this morning, you did too, to some breaking news that women's head basketball coach, former women's head basketball coach, Joni Taylor, has now accepted the head coaching job at Texas A&M. We don't talk a ton of women's basketball on this show because I know there's not a ton of interest, but like college tennis, I follow it closely, and we are going to give it at least a little bit of coverage today. So first question, Curtis, why do you think Joni Taylor made this move? Um, Maybe kind of she's in the same situation as Mike White was, feeling a little underappreciated. Um, but the fact is also it, um, with how quickly it looks like Georgia has kind of made their next hire. I don't, It hasn't been announced, but it looks like it, the name and a lot of stuff is there. It shows yeah. that this is no surprise. A&M's coach had previously announced he was going to retire. So A&M was in the market looking, and I'm sure they'd talked to Joni previously. Uh, what I think this is about money more than anything, Chris. I don't know her. I don't really know. But my guess here, if you look at the numbers here, I mean, their head coach last year at a made $1.25 million. Joni's total compensation next year, if she stayed here, would have been $925,000. Um, so that's a pretty big step up for a women's basketball coach. And they, they might have paid her more than $1.25 million. And I think what happened here is that even if, like, even if she came back and was like, hey, are you guys willing to match? Could you see Josh Brooks being like, no. I mean, because she took us to the championship game of the SEC tournament last year where we lost to, to South Carolina. But the fact is, like, she's helped us be pretty good. Like, we made three tournaments under her leadership, Curtis. I take that back. It's actually four when you count this year's tournament. But you talk about Billy Donovan, right? And the success he had at Florida. Well, Andy Landers is an absolute legend. Did it get stale at the end? Of course, it got a little bit stale at the end. But she inherited a heck of a program, right? I mean, a heck of a program. I think we'd made the term like like 20 straight years. Actually, I got it right here. Let me count this up real quick. So 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Yes, 20 straight years we had made the tournament prior to Andy Landers' last year. He missed it his last year. She takes the job. She got us back to the first round in her first year, then missed the tournament, then went to the second round, missed two tournaments. Now, one of those was COVID, obviously. Made the, won a game last year. And, uh, or one, I'm sorry, won a game. Yeah, won a game last year. And then this year, we know, got blown the hell out in the second round. Won the, fir- won the first round game, got blown out in the second round. So it's not like she's had like an overwhelming amount of success here, to be honest with you. And so I can see Josh Brooks being like, well, I don't know if we want to pay you $1.25 million. Does that make sense? That's where I was like, what, we had probably had the chance to, to match. match it, but did we want to? 
Yeah, I mean, she's done a good job. She hasn't been a bad coach, but it hasn't. She hasn't elevated the program to the next level, which is like when you move on from Andy Landers. I know you retired. Like we've been so good at women's basketball for a long time, but we wanted to like take the next step, and we didn't really take. We stayed good. We were solid, but we never took that next step. So I could see us maybe saying like, "Well, I mean, you're paid pretty well right now based on what you've produced." I don't know if we want to go. It's like. 1.5 1.5 million potentially something like that right now we can go get somebody else and it looks like that somebody else you're right Chris, that's not been officially announced but the word on the street is it's going to be old mrs uh coach who is yolette mcphee McEwen. um she has done a really good job at old miss similar records at old miss to what joni's put up here but that program that she took over at old miss is nothing near the program that joni took over here at georgia i mean they had three they've gone to the tournament three times in 22 years prior to her getting there not once since 2006 2007 so she's done a really good job there they had about the same record as us last year we did beat them but i think it was like a close game this year like three or four points she's a really a well-respected up-and-coming coach so i think that's probably who it's going to be and i think that will help us keep this recruiting class that joni was able to put together intact and that's one thing joni did really well i'll give her credit she was an ace recruiter and that's a big time thing I mean, we, we had one of the top classes in the country, the number three prospect in America coming in this year. Hopefully, we're going to be able to keep that together. And I think if we do go with the Ole Miss coach, if we go with Yolette, I think that that's one of the things that we're having in mind that she can hold this class together, which would certainly help her get her tenure. If she is indeed the next coach, whoever it ends up being, it would help them get their tenure started off on the right foot. One more thing real quick here about Joni in this job and why she might have te- taken the Texas A&M job. I do think money had a lot to do with it, but you also have to factor in like her family situation. Her husband is a former women's basketball coach. He coached as an assistant coach at South Carolina. He could never be on her staff while she was the head coach at Georgia because of our state's nepotism laws. In Texas, as far as I know, they don't have to worry about that. So there's the potential that he could actually be on her staff in some capacity, which he could, he could just never, even if it's not like a, a direct on-court, like assistant coach job, he couldn't really work within our basketball program because of the nepotism law. So that won't really be something that holds them back if they're in Texas. And so from a family perspective, that would make a lot of sense. And I, look, I, again, I don't know her. I don't know if that's really the thinking here, but it certainly would not surprise me if that was certainly part of the calculus with her taking this job. But regardless, for whatever reason she may have, Joni is gone. I'm not heartbroken, right, with this Joni Taylor news. Are you, Curtis? No, no, not at all. Yeah, I, that's that's kind of where I am with it. Wish her the best. Absolutely did a good job for us, but I'm certainly not. I'm not going to be shedding any tears over it. She was recruiting really well, and maybe that would have eventually translated into, like, significant on-court success like us taking that next step and getting to a final four but through at least her first seven seasons here in Athens we weren't even coming close to sniffing anything resembling a final four I mean we never even got out of the second round of the insulate tournament with with Joni Taylor and I I know a lot of her supporters out there would say well wait a minute you would you would crawl over glass for the men's team to even get to the NCAA tournament, let alone like win a game in the, in the NCAA tournament. So why are you criticizing Joni for having that kind of success? And, and my response to that would be, well, our women's basketball program has a far greater tradition of success than our men's basketball program. We spent the past couple of weeks when we've been talking about Tom Crean and Mike White going over in detail 
how we essentially have no basketball tradition on the men's side. That's not the case for the women. No, we have not won a national title, but we have made it to multiple Final Fours. We made it to NCAA Championship games. We aren't South Carolina. We aren't Tennessee. We aren't UConn. Like, we're not Baylor. We're not at that level. But our women's basketball program has been, at the very least, like, a second-tier level program for a while. Like, a very well-respected contending team. And we have simply had no sustained success on the men's side. So yes, I do expect a coach when they take over a program with that kind of success and that kind of of history and tradition, I do have higher expectations for them than I would a coach who takes over a men's basketball program who has essentially no tradition. It has to be basically more or less, I mean, let's be real, has to be built up from the ground, like from scratch. So I just want to put that out there for the people out there who I know, I know there's some of you out there saying, wait a minute, Tyler, you were just like pumping up Mike White and he's only gotten out of the second round like once in his career at Florida, but like you're criticizing Jody for that? Different animal here. It's a different animal. Those programs are in very, very different spots. But all right, guys, that officially does it for today here on the Glory UGA podcast. As always, we appreciate you guys, each and every one of you, for taking time out of your day. We know there's a lot of options out there, and we absolutely appreciate your support year in, year out, week in and week out, month in and month out. We appreciate you guys. So thank you for that. I hope you guys have an awesome weekend. Real quick before we, like, I guess, officially, officially get out of here, the baseball team is on the road this weekend, so they're not going to be in town but the women's tennis team is home. we got a homestand this weekend. The weather should be nice here in the Classic City. We've got LSU on Friday at 4 o'clock. And I know if you don't live in Athens, that's hard to get to. I totally understand that. But we also have a top 15 matchup. Number 12, Texas A&M has come to town Sunday afternoon, 1 p.m. I'm telling you guys, the weather's going to be nice. Bring the family. Bring yourself if you're solo. Come on out. Enjoy a great Sunday afternoon of Georgia tennis. The ladies have finally moved back in the top 10. We've been a top 10 team all along. It's a weird quirk in how they do the rankings. The ITA, they use a formula, which is based on like the number of matches you played, the number of wins you have, number of losses, who you've beaten, all that. It goes in this formula. And the stark reality was we just hadn't played enough matches. I still don't quite know what was going on. Like We didn't have a very extensive non-conference schedule, which is unusual for us. I mean, outside of playing in the National Indoors Tournament, the only other non-conference match I can think of was last Wednesday when we played number four Ohio State. They came to Athens and we took them down. We shut them out 7-0 in that match, which is a huge win. We were supposed to play number one North Carolina, which was a return match from when they came here last year, but we actually got COVID or we had some COVID issues going through the team a couple months ago when we were supposed to have that match. So that one guy was postponed, but it looks like it's not actually going to be played, so it's probably canceled. But we just hadn't played a ton of matches. We played 11 matches at this point, and we are still number seven in the country. We compare that to the teams ahead of us. So Texas has played 16 matches at number six. Pepperdine's played, well, they only played 13. Ohio State's played 14. Oklahoma's played 18, and they're number three. NC State's played 18. North Carolina's played 17. So those teams ahead of us, like we're we're nine and two right now. We had two losses in the national indoors. But those teams ahead of us, Pepperdine 10 and 3, Texas 13 and 3, Ohio State 10 and 4, Oklahoma 17 and 1. Like we're comparable to them in our record. We just haven't just haven't had as many matches. So we haven't been able to rack up those wins, and that's affected our formula. But trust me, guys, I watch this team every single time they play, whether it's home or away. I'm pulling up and streaming it if they're away. 
And this is a top five caliber team. This is a top three caliber team, in my opinion. So come on out, watch some high, high level tennis. Got a great mix of veterans and really exciting, super talented young players. So it's it's awesome, man. So come out, enjoy the great weather, and watch, uh, watch, watch some great tennis and support one of the best programs on campus. And if you can't make it out, I get it. I know there's a lot going on. But if you can't make it out, you can follow us on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA. You can also follow us on Instagram, it's Glory UGA Podcast. And I will have those matches completely covered for you guys. We'll have a ton of coverage for you. So you can follow us. We'll be tweeting our own stuff. We'll be retweeting what's what they're sending out from the official accounts, all that great stuff. So if you're curious and want to see what's going on, just follow us if you can't make it out, and we will have you guys covered. But have a great weekend, guys. For Curtis, I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs. <laughs>